everybody. Welcome. This is Heads and Tails Podcast. It's a, a very lovely Concord evening here today, and Warren and I are about to chat with the fellows from Copperworks Distilling in Seattle, Washington. I bet it's lovelier up there. I bet, I bet it's brilliantly uh, lovely up yes. there. Whatever that means. Or my know. temperature. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up. With this California summertime <laughs> BS, yeah, these three know. weeks. Yeah, that I don't we've know had. what's going on, man. It's been, uh, it's look, it's been rough. Okay, mm. my uh, my AC's been going. Oh yeah, y- you know it's tough. Your electric meter's just been ticking away. Yeah, well, you know, in my mansion, right? So uh, you know, I, I live in a mansion. Everybody mm. in the. Uh, the flatlands of the Central Valley. No, uh, yeah, man, it's it's look, it's hot, and uh, I, I just saw friends going to uh, to Europe this week, and they're having. Remember that heat wave in like 2003 that everyone in London was like panicking because the asphalt oh, was melting. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be hotter than that, huh? It's like a terrible. It's gonna be like 108 in France, like in Paris. Wow, <laughs> it's hot, man. Good thing I went to Scotland when I did. Yeah, it was like low 60s, man, upper 50s. It was great. And you would text me like you would love everything here. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to come back. A <laughs> uh, Bevo kept checking in with me, like, "Are you still not wanting to come back?" Every time. Yep. Yep. Don't want to come back. Why did you come back? <clears throat> you could have uh, made a clean break. Well, I didn't want my wife to come over and hunt me down. <laughs> well, how was she going to, you know, she would just get stra- distracted by the first pizza place <laughs> she found, and then she would accidentently go to Italy. <laughs> I don't know. Just, I found like, Why am I here? Uh, how long were you there for? Uh, just over two weeks. Damn, dude. Yeah. And I made it Alone? To, yeah, solo. Yeah. All right. And you didn't rent I met an some, escort for two weeks? Well, <laughs> I met some people along the way, okay. uh, but- yeah, no permanent travel partners <laughs> of any kind. Um, That's cool. But yeah, put, uh, what was it, 1,700 miles on the rental car. Damn, dude. Driving all over the highlands, basically did a giant loop. And wow. went to 24 different distilleries. Wow. Um, a couple that actually aren't selling whiskey yet. So they're, okay. they're in, they've been in production for uh, anywhere from uh, two years up to five, but wow. they're not selling anything yet. Nothing. No. How are they... Lots of money. Okay. Lots and lots of money. Because over there, is it, is it, I think it's over here, it's more accepted to a certain extent to just buy neutral grain spirit or something like that from one of the big manufacturers. And then you can sell stuff while you're letting your inventory build up of whiskeys and bourbon, and, you know, well, not bourbons, but you know what I mean. It can't be legally whiskey if it's younger than three years in one day. Okay. So even if your distillery is brand new, you can't call yourself a whiskey distillery until you've been until you have product that you've been aging for three years in one day. Then you can be called a whiskey distillery. Otherwise, you're just a distillery. Just a distillery. Okay. So, uh, but they're not selling like vodka or it's just something to sell couple, to people. There are a couple small ones that are doing that. Yeah. But yeah. the places that I went to are purely just single malt distilleries. Wow. Um, and that's the either if they're not there yet, that's the goal. So that's all they're doing. Okay. Um, Deep pockets, man. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. But it was great. The cool. scenery, the whiskey, uh, the fish and chips. Oh, man. I even <laughs> Are ranked... they different from over here? Come on. Uh, they're different in that they're all good. Really? Yeah. Oh, um, boy. I think I had eight or nine different fish and chips places. Um, Were they all different? Slightly. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I ranked them. So uh, Where? Think, <laughs> in my head. I made a list. Oh, okay. So yeah. in my you notes. You pulled up your phone, by the way. Which is where I kept track of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Um, I just want to make sure that nobody's going to go looking for Warren Billups' <laughs> fish and chip rank dot com. Well, they, they, right now it doesn't exist, but tomorrow <laughs> okay, good. it'll be a thing. Got it. All right. Um, what was yeah. the best one? Shouts out. The best, best fish and chips? Yeah. It was actually... A place in Inverness. Okay. McLeod uh, and McGregor's. It was, I think it, I'd have to double check the <laughs> spelling, but it was basically McLeod fish and chips. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Good. And um, that was the best. And it was a, there was a close second um, over on the East Shore. I'd uh, have to look up the name, okay. but I've, I've got it. Um, so when we do the uh, Tour of Scotland show, we can yes. even include a fish and chips ranking. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be the next show, uh, everybody. It will be Warren's Recap. Of Scotland yeah, and all that kind of stuff. And it's really not just going to be about food, although it could be. But Warren smuggled or brought back or bought or shipped or whatever, like 12 cases of spirits or something. You posted yeah. a photo online. It was an insane amount of liquor. <laughs> there, like you would never, you're never going to drink it all. No. There, uh, I only got, the, in the large format bottles, I only mm-hmm. got bottles that you can get at the distillery. Smart. That's a so good move. why yeah, waste yeah. why waste my suitcase on on bringing whiskey back that I can get here, especially yeah. when it's actually more expensive over there. Oh wow! With the taxes and everything, typically it would be more expensive to buy the same thing. Socialist, man. Uh, right? They they actually want to discourage alcoholism more over there than we do here. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I don't like that. So I might have brought back about eight liters. <laughs> yeah, where, various uh yeah where the, the limit might be closer to five okay um, how the, did you do it well when the uh let me write this down and call the, the authority <laughs> when the customs guy asked i i declared x number of dollars on there to in case something happened it mm-hmm. could be plausible yeah that that's what it would have cost me his eyes got really big and he was like how much whiskey does that buy and I was like, not as much as you would think. And he's like, okay, stamp. Here you go. Damn. You just love a trusting face. Yeah. yeah. I guess. Yeah. This, he's probably thinking, this guy doesn't know anything. Look at him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's Dude. lucky to have made it through the airport. Man, if, if you're ever going to smuggle anything, any like anything, or at least try to beat customs and beat the taxes or whatever, mm-hmm. um, there's a show on Netflix called like Border Security or whatever, okay. where they just follow... The uh, customs and border security agents at the airports of, you know, between Canada and the U.S. or, or you know, New York mm-hmm. specifically, and just international people, Miami, whatever. And these people are dumb. These people are like international. Oh, no, we don't have, like, we have nothing to declare. They fill out on the form. There's nothing. Uh-huh. I have nothing. I have no fruits. I have no meat. I have no. And then they'll have, like, a half a cow in their suitcase. Right. Oh, I didn't know that was there. And all this dried jerky and these different <laughs> fruits and nuts and and mushrooms. And there are people like, yeah. you, you see you see right here, sometimes they're in Australia. You see right here. You you noted right here that it says blah 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 blah. Yeah. Did you not know what that meant? <laughs> uh, and that's I my normal know. approach. But this time I had so much where it's just like well, I couldn't just pretend. Well, but that, if they that, opened a suitcase. That's what I'm saying. So it, it's like it's like one of those shows that sort of teaches you how to skirt the issues mm-hmm. by learning from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Which is really just to not do it, I guess. But just to not lie and be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's not lie and be honest. Well. <clears throat> what are you going to do, man? But right. yeah, so I might have some things that we can taste. Okay. Um, maybe. Maybe. You might. Well, we'll it's see what's be left. The show. We'll see what's left. <laughs> You've drank it at yeah. all already? Yeah. Eight li- I have four and a half liters <laughs> sitting. Re- Since I've been back, it's been a blur. Blended everything yeah. <laughs> together. All right, well, let's get our guests on the line. We have Jason and Greg from Copperworks Distilling in Seattle, Washington. Boys, are you there? 
Yes. Oh, perfect. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate that very much. You bet. By the way, it's 70 degrees, and we have two more hours of sunlight. (sighs) It's like 88 (laughs) here at almost 7 o'clock at night. It's just so just blah, dude. I'm tired of it. (laughs) And everything's brown. You know, yeah. like my wife almost got a job in uh, in Vancouver, and I was really excited. It was like a 5% chance that we would move to Vancouver. Yeah. And I'm like looking at the real estate sites and looking for these homes, and there's like trees on land. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what magical place is this? It's Willy Wonka's factory of trees. It was, uh, it was, it was obscene. And comfortable weather. And comfortable weather, yeah. man. We don't generally we don't generally tell Californians that fact, but you're <laughs> you're right. It's really nice up here. Uh, well, the internet is uh, you know was my portal to <laughs> skirting your guys' firewall of information. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, guys, thanks for joining us. So I want to get into a little bit of your background, uh, and then we're going to jump into some spirits here and and talk about those. Uh, but Jason, I see your background, you know, on your website and in, in, in my pre-show notes here that you come from craft beer yeah your craft yeah, beer guy that's kind of how, how we got started on this um uh, you know i have been brewing a long time since 1989 wow. started at uh, the pike place brewery here in seattle and, um oh yeah famous that, yeah, yeah when when we started the pike there were about 260 breweries in america you know how many there are now um <laughs> yeah and so it was really fun, and, and only you know I got that job by um, um, well, it's a long story, but basically my interview was two bottles of homebrew, and that's what got me in. And uh, man, I, I ended up I, I leaving. Think... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was just making some dumb joke about uh, about those days are are gone. You know, every once in a while you kind of hear those like uh, stories, but personally on the brewing network i haven't heard a story like that in maybe 10 8 to 10 years i think that's what they call the good old days <laughs> yeah that's right well i just yeah. i just walked in and they said hey you 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 have two hands and your brain sort of works why don't you start be making beer for us well i mean a, the, the little bit deeper story was i happened to run into charles finkel in the bookstore the university of washington bookstore we had never met each other and as we started talking, he introduced me to his wife, Roseanne. And Roseanne said, wow, I'm working really hard right now to import a little tiny distillery up in the northern end of Scotland called Traquair House. Well, I'm oh. wearing a sweatshirt. And I lift up my sweatshirt, and I'm wearing a Traquair House T-shirt. Oh, wow. And at, at, <laughs> at that time, 1988, I think is when that was, there were probably only three of us in America who knew about Square House and we're all talking to each other. So that um, <laughs> is how that started. Yeah. And Square House, uh, didn't, didn't they do like the little small format bottles of like a lavender something or other? Yeah, yeah, they did. They had the, uh, I think they were like seven ounce or something for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Now they actually have wow. a couple of different formats. See, I'm yeah. with you. I know. I'm with you. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could get a job. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Let me get my time machine and go back to when jobs I could, uh, I could get the job. So, uh, Pikes, and then I, you went to, to, uh, Fish, I think is what it was. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to a school. I was doing uh, microbiology. I was actually doing a a, a BA in chemistry and a BS in microbiology because I knew I wanted to be a brewer. Yeah, and uh, and then coming back up here and working in the summer, and I helped uh, get uh, fishtail ales um, their first recipes designed and trained their brewers. So it was mainly consulting work, uh, but a lot of fun. 
and then uh, graduated from Evergroovy, uh, the Evergreen State College, and uh, <laughs> okay. came up here and worked in uh, Red Hook. Back in those days, Red Hook there was in go. Fremont. It was in a little, uh, in, in a big old um, building called the Trolleyman. Yeah. We have a chocolate company there now called Theo's. Um, I really enjoyed learning and stealing ideas from them, but I, I didn't feel like that was a place I wanted to stay. Okay. Um, it, just, it was a little bit too industrial for me. Uh, Anheuser-Busch only had 25% control. Uh, it was a distribution agreement, but it just didn't feel like the right um, attitude. But my friend Randy Reed, who was over in Paulsbo at Thomas Kemper, was opening, uh, going to be able to open up um, a pyramid brewery. Okay. And he knew how to brew incredible beers, and I really wanted to work for him. And the opportunity to come and help build Pyramid Breweries was a fantastic opportunity. So I quit Red Hook and came in. We got the keys to the building and walked in. There was nothing in there but a giant roll of papers, like 18 feet high. Wow. And this was a paper company. Okay. And then we built that place, and a lot of the ideas that we in, in, incorporated uh, – were some of the things I literally stole from Red Hook, just, you know, how they did CIP and, you know, how they did their plumbing. I mean, I learned so much from there. You got to steal. You got to steal the ideas. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Always. And so I did that for a while and uh, ended up becoming brewmaster at Pyramid. I was there for seven years. Oh, geez. Oh, gee. Okay. And then yeah. when did you okay. when did you leave? Uh, I left in 2000, uh, in the year 2000 in Seattle. If you had a heartbeat, uh, so back to the good old days, if you had a heartbeat, then you could get a job in IT. <laughs> and Pyramid was kind of uh, really struggling to decide. We were the second biggest brewery in America at that time. We were trying to decide whether or not we wanted to be uh, even bigger and buy some breweries or if we were going to sell and be bought by somebody. And yeah. so everything was about shareholder wealth, not about beer quality mm. at that time. Mm. So... Um, I jumped into a new career, which I used to do about every seven years. So I jumped into a new career, got into IT, loved it, got a master's in information management, thought that was my, my end game, worked at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for seven years, and then it became illegal in Washington to do craft distilling. And my good friend Micah Nutt, uh, he and I had been homebrewing for a long time. Uh, like literally twenty years, and we just decided, <laughs> Hey, let's open a distillery and uh, apply our beer knowledge to the brewing aspect of it and get started there. So it was kind of interesting because we really, other than Stranahan's Colorado whiskey, we had never tasted a whiskey that was made from beer. Okay. At at that time, like uh, batches in the early days when they were in their 15s and 20s, their beers were all made from a scotch ale. And so we started by designing both a pale ale and a scotch ale recipe you know no hops mm-hmm. and that's kind of how we got started interesting it's brewing brewing a beer yep so every time anybody comes in from colorado I always say you ever hear of strand hands and they're like oh yeah we drink that all the time I'm like, well that's why we opened and, like, what? <laughs> and greg what about you man you are the uh the distiller there correct uh yeah one of two um so i got my start i think like more brewers uh scrubbing kegs hard enough till they let me into the brew house uh at which point uh i was there for three years doing the washes for jason for much of it uh at which point I went up to jason and asked him if he could use any help at the distillery and then he replied with well how much help can you give me and <laughs> one thing kind of led to another and i found myself here 
Nice. <laughs> All right. I love it. And you kind of do everything. You're you're barreling, you're blending, you're transferring, you're distilling. You're you're yeah, jack of all, master of none. That's right. That's right. That's how it goes, man. That's how it goes. It, it's good to see that some things, uh, you know, are equal on the beer side and the distilling side. Oh yeah, I feel like that's, that's right. there are universal constants. That's yeah. one of them. So, <clears throat> excuse me. While I was on your your website, the first thing that hits me today is you guys were named a 2018 Distillery of the Year by our friends yeah. at the American Distilling Institute. How cool is that? Yeah. Well, I tell you, it was a huge surprise. We were um, literally sitting in, at a table with some friends uh, after all the awards. You know, we had won some awards for spirits. Other people had won awards. It was really, uh, a, a, it's always a fun event, and I always enjoy the award ceremony. And as they were reading the names, uh, not the names, the, um, the, the, the attributes that they liked about this distillery, I remember thinking, man, that sounds like a fun place to work. That sounds like a pretty cool place. And I had in my mind who it might be. I'm like, I bet that's John and Courtney from Headframe Distilling. And then they go, Copperworks Distilling. Whoa. And we just looked at each other. We're like, what? How could that be? And then finally we all jumped up and ran up there, and it was really fun. Nice. That's a good time, man. I like that they kind of uh, worked you over a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. No idea. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. Well, hey, let's let's start talking a little bit about your guys' approach to distilling spirits. As you mentioned before, you start with beer recipes, but, of course, without the hops. How is that? How is that different? Just for let's pretend that I know everything, but you know, for our listeners, right? How is that different from a normal batch of you know, let's say uh, whiskey or or, or uh, gin or something like that? Yeah. So normally, what you're going to be doing in the case of most distilleries is that you're going to be using either uh, a distiller's yeast, and then in the combination of um, whatever ambient bacteria and yeast are also on your grain because you aren't going to be boiling for the most part. Um, from there, you're going to be fermenting at about 90 or between 80 and 90 degrees for three days uh, to reach your maximum alcohol and then start putting into stills. Um, from what we're doing when we say we make a beer is that we are using um, a beer that has been boiled to san uh, pasteurization and sanitation. And then from there, we are going to use a strong English ale yeast, ferment it clean over the course of three weeks, so 10 days of fermentation and then 10 days of conditioning. And then from there, we're going to put it into stills. And we're fermenting at about 70 degrees for the most part and then crashing it down to 35 before we transfer it to stills. Okay. Let me give you guys a background on something that it took us a while to understand. This yeah. is Jason. When big distilleries are open and closed they're usually opened and closed because of efficiencies because it's you know diageo owns 40 or 100 or however many distillery uh, individual plants and they look at one and they say you know your yield is not as good as the one down the street so what what the golden number is is 440 liters of pure alcohol per ton of grain and so that's what you live and die by Okay. And the goal is to optimize for alcohol because if you're going to be price competitive with the other distilleries that are optimizing for alcohol, then you've got to be competitive in those in hitting those numbers. We don't measure. If we measured our efficiency, we'd be horrified. <laughs> it's, it's awful. And we know it's awful because we do ridiculous things like not get 
20% more alcohol from a bacterial fermentation, but we don't want a bacterial fermentation. We only want a yeast fermentation. We know that three weeks in a fermenter is unheard of, and the Scots just look at us with blank stares. They just can't even figure out what to say next. <laughs> but when they taste our wash, the, the, the first question is, how do you do this? And then they taste our new make whiskey and they can't believe it. They're like, we can't make this. Really? We can't get there. Wow. And you can't get there because they're doing a traditional product. So if they're doing a traditional product and one of their major metrics is efficiency, then they're going to always be stuck in that paradigm. It's going to be hard for them to innovate and hard for them to do stuff that hmm. tastes really different because, in fact, it won't taste like scotch anymore or, or, you know, bourbon won't taste like bourbon. So we're really not at all interested in those traditions. We're really interested in starting with a beer. From there, we're using some really traditional things like uh, Scottish pot stills, two pot stills, making really conservative cuts and then doing it re- um, redistilling the second, the next whiskey with the faints from the previous batch in to uh, build up character. So okay. we're, we're kind of um, borrowing a lot of the, or I like to say, stealing a lot of the ideas from the Scotch industry and the bourbon industry and the beer industry, but we're com- combining them in ways that I think are somewhat unusual. Yeah, it's fusion. As yeah. If it had a restaurant in Manhattan yeah. in the eighties, it would I would say it was fusion. So <laughs> you, you sent a, a, a lot of information about the one of the whiskeys that we're going to try, the release uh, twenty one, that even includes the fermentation profiles and the brewing recipes and, and kind of getting those efficiency numbers. Uh, coming back from Scotland, I got to taste a few washes, and there's, I think it says the final gravity is ten fourteen. I never yeah. tasted a wash that had. Pretty much any residual sugar <laughs> over there. Do they get? No. Do they get pretty Very dry? Low, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's what you're they saying, Jason. Zero. Right? Yeah. Oh, yes. They go, right. Because they literally go nine eight no, nine yeah. nine eight nine nine seven. And, and, and the and alcohol content's pretty close to the same. Like or in the range, I should say, like mm-hmm. eight to ten percent, and they're in eight and a half right now. Okay. But so they're just using less grain and just drying it out to where there's just nothing left. And, and that's what you're saying, that's right. Jason, optimizing for the liquor versus optimizing for flavor profiles. That's right. When uh, Here's another uh, fun thing. And Warren, I don't know if you had this chance to ask uh, some of the Scottish distillers, but um, the, the question is, hey, guys, does uh, the malt that you use matter? And about 75% of, you know, not the folks from Brookalati, they, they really understand that. And more and more people, Mark Ryan, are beginning to really get into this. But most people will say, oh, no, um, malt is just simply a source of sugar. It doesn't matter at all. Yeah, right. The way we ferment it out, and malt doesn't matter. Well, that's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it's bullshit. it's bullshit if you're doing a beer. It, if you're making a wash that has no <clears throat> no residual flavor, then maybe that's true. Mm. But, you know, you know from your experience with beer how <laughs> incredible yeah. malt matters. Of course. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. the flavor. They, uh, they were more upset about, they had a, a, a harvest last year that resulted in a lot more higher protein content malt. Yeah. And so they the, most of the comments revolved around 
how the higher protein content led to less efficient fermentations and less sugar, so they had to use more. Okay. There wasn't much of a com- conversation about the different varieties contributing different flavors. Sure, to the quality or anything like that. Just all about the efficiency numbers. Really, what that's done is that's left a wide open, huge opportunity for brewers to become distillers and use brewing science to become really good producers. I'm I'm super excited about this fact. The the more Scots and Kentuckians close their laws to make it even more exclusive so that it's even harder to make bourbon or it's even harder to make something like scotch – the more opportunity the rest of us have to go do really fun things because they're just close that opportunity down. That's an interesting take, honestly, because, you know, coming from the from the beer scene, especially, you know, uh, the old beer scene, if I if I could just be so bold and not offensive at all to say the old beer scene. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like 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 back where styles mattered, you know, and we, you know, we had to work really hard to say this is a pale ale. Uh, it, we don't want it to go into IPA territory or whatever. Right. Like when you got a pale ale back in the late 90s, you knew it was a pale pale ale nowadays you get a pale ale and it's a friggin session ip or just an ipa with uh with no crystal malt it's just this weird we don't really know i don't know it's the wild west out here for for beer but it's it's interesting that coming from that background you're sort of you're sort of pro uh just lawlessness <laughs> you know what i mean it's uh well, you just want to make spirits that taste good it sounds like right or, or do you live and die by definitions no, no, think about it. Um, you know, when, when, when I started at uh, brewing, there were um, 26 categories at the, America, at the Great American Beer Festival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like 109. <laughs> right, so, yeah, right. Right. So, you know, the difference between a, 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 um, a, a vegetable beer, not pumpkin, soured, not barreled versus vegetable beer, not pumpkin, soured, and barreled. You know, you can win an award for each. Yeah. So, I'm making that up. But anyway, <laughs> the, the thing that's interesting is we had to brew classic styles in the late 80s and early 90s because that was already a huge stretch for customers, for consumers. Mm-hmm. But now consumers have tasted literally everything that could be brewed has been brewed. And people are really kind of struggling to find one more exciting thing to do. Well, distilling is in the mid-90s. We've got so many more things that we can do. You just have to be careful not to be too far ahead of the curve. If you're two years ahead or even five years ahead, you're, you're looked at as really cool, doing some visionary things. If you're 20 years ahead, you're just considered Stark raving mad, crazy, bad distillery. <laughs> yeah. Don't know what you're doing. Okay, right, so you, so you have to be careful. You have but, to find you have to find your angle in there. But don't you have mm-hmm. to be a okay. little bit of that with the lead time on some of these spirits? Like, if you're going to have something in a barrel for five to ten years, you have to be crazy now to be successful later. That's right. right? So we we have things in a barrel that we actually don't talk about yet because the public's not ready for it. <laughs> but it will. Like what? Can you give right. me an example? You're not well, ready. No. You're not ready for it, Jason. <laughs> I have to kill you. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. ready for anything, man. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm ready. I got my headdress on, and I'm gonna pop the arc, dude. I wanna, I wanna know what's going on. No, I mean it's funny with um, barrel finishes, with hot okay. beers, 
with mm-hmm. um, locally sourced peat. Those are all things that we're that we're working on. Okay. That right now we need to be careful. We're already iconoclastic enough with our flavor profile. You know, it's it's delicious, and people are giving us very good accolades on it. But we can't take them too far too soon, or they're going to be not able to catch up. Mm-hmm. So, got it. So the things that we have in barrels now are maturing, so that when they're ready, it's ready. Gotcha. And that way, we'll have the next five years worth of interesting things coming up. Okay. Including specialty malts, um, you know, the single farm, single variety, single vintage malts, things like that. Wow. You know, I think it's a good place to take a break, Warren. I know we, we were trying to get to the clear spirits first sure. before our first break, but that's a great that's spot funny. just to, to take a, a quick five-minute break here yeah. and uh, regroup and then get ready to taste some, some spirits. We'll get some water. Yeah, and we'll get prepared. Do you guys drink anything w- along with us, or what are you going to do? Yeah, we got the full lineup. Yeah, we got a case of booze. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, damn, Atta boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pros. great. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, if you guys want to hang on for, like I said, a couple, two, three, four minutes, uh, let us regroup, and yep. uh, we'll come back and jump into more of these spirits. Let's do it. Perfect. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for hanging on. This is Heads and Tails, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for hanging around. We have Jason and Greg still from Copper Works Distilling in Seattle, Washington. You guys made it back. We didn't lose you. Yeah, we're back. All right. Excellent. Excellent. We have some water. We're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're uh, I don't know. Water of life, I hope. That's true. Oh, yes, of course. That also. Yes. But we were getting Which ready is... because we saw that a few of these come in pretty hot at 100 proof. So we wanted to be. Yeah, ready. we'll talk about that. I don't <laughs> think you're going to find that burns like you may have thought. Have you already had a chance to taste through some of them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but since we have to be able to somewhat enunciate <laughs> at the end of the show. Yeah, uh, I have not yet. I I like to go in fresh and clean, um, and you know, again, pretend I don't know what I'm talking about. But I really am the smartest guy in the room. So um, <laughs> we're in separate rooms. <laughs> yeah, we're in separate rooms. Wait a minute, Warren, that was a funny joke. Oh, good job. Oh, uh, the one I had made. Yeah. Oh wow. Hey man, high five. <laughs> good job. Uh, all right. Well, all right. let's. Let's start uh, drinking here. Oh, are you guys, uh, what do you have uh, drinking with us, Jason and Greg? Uh, well, we just finished some whiskey, but we're ready to go to vodka, gin, or whiskey. Whatever you want to do, man, we can go through I think any we're, of them. I think we're going uh, Northwest Washington Malt Vodka. All right, let's First. do it. Yep. First, yeah, let's do that. All right. Uh, tell us a little bit about this guy. Oh, so this one is going to be our Washington Select Pale Barley. So I'm going to take this guy, ferment to 9% ABV over the course of about three weeks. Um, from there, we're going to just do two distillations, so stripping distillation, and then we're going to do distillation to our 25-plate column still. Um, and, yeah, from there we go down to 80 proof. Does so it- here's what's kind of unusual about vodka. normally charcoal filtered so that it has no discernible flavor and aroma. That's actually the TTB definition of North American vodka. We issue that whole last step. We don't filter it at all. Okay. Okay. Right? So why would we? 
if you're trying to make a commodity, something that doesn't taste anything, so you can just get a buzz off cranberry juice, then you would want to filter it, right? Yes. So that you can't taste it. Right. But if you made something out of, and, and by the way, the dumbest thing in the world would be to make that out of an expensive commodity. You'd make it out of the cheapest thing in your region. Around here, that'd be wheat. Up in Canada, it'd be you know rye or unmalted barley. In the Midwest, it's corn. But here, we're using a beer at a brewery, and so we make a 100% malted barley wash. And that's a dumb thing to make vodka from if you're going to make it totally <laughs> neutral. So we don't filter. Okay. okay. So we end up with a vodka that has flavor. So you're you're making a, a, a pale ale. You have a pale ale grain bill, essentially. That's right. Without any right. hops. Yeah, and we're um, you, we're using Washington Select as opposed to uh, say Northwest Pale, which we use in our whiskey varieties. Um, it has a bit more of a uh, subtle flavor to it. It's not killing it uh, as high of a temperature as Northwest Pale is, um, and it's actually more expensive. So it even drives Jason's point further home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it sits down more. Again, we're bad at math. I mean, there's no reason to open a we're small so bad. business like this if you were good at math. But that's true. Um, we're making. We're making some flavors uh, that if we only knew how much they cost us, would be horrified. But instead, we just get to enjoy them. So when you drink this at 80 proof, the one thing that you already notice when you smell it is that, by golly, it has a smell. Yeah. It reminds me of blonde tequila or something, an unfiltered white spirit like a silver rum. Um, and, and those are high-quality products. If, if you're buying a high-quality tequila, those are high-quality products that – weren't filtered through charcoal to remove flavor because you wanted to taste those flavors. So vodka, in our opinion, is going through a renaissance where these aren't flavored vodkas, but they are vodkas with flavor. Ooh. And there's hundreds of distilleries in America who are now not or barely filtering their vodka so that it has texture, sweetness, all that unfermented sugar comes out in here with that nice little sweetness that coats the tongue. So do you uh, ferment this without enzymes, and so it also has a very similar residual gravity uh, in the wash to your to your whiskeys? Yeah, we don't ferment um, with enzymes at all, at least since I've been here. Um, we yep. do, since we're doing 100% barley and we're doing a pretty normal mass schedule, um, we don't really need them. Yeah, we're... We're much more interested in making a, a super high-quality beer and then seeing what happens when we run it through a 25-plate, 13-inch diameter column than the other way around, which is trying to optimize for alcohol and then seeing how much yield mm -hmm. we can get. So um, no enzymes ever, okay. um, and everything is just barley flavors. And do you have to uh, run it twice through that column in order to, to technically call it vodka? No. Or how does that work? No. Oh, okay. So here's an interesting thing. I'm going to jump in one, one more. Uh, I love soapboxes. Thank you for giving me so many soapboxes. <laughs> oh, please. This is great. So here's another one. Marketing in, in America has told us that vodka is uh, really great and more times it's distilled. Now, let's really think about that. If we are capable of distilling a, a beer stripping still, we get a uh, intermediate product. We've removed about um, two-thirds of the water. And now we're going to run it through a column still and get it up to 191 proof. The batch that we're going to get is 191 proof and then cut it with water. The legal definition of vodka is it's distilled to 190 or above. So we start pulling um, uh, alcohol off the still 
close to 192 proof, and we end the day when we hit 189.99. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to redistill to hit the proof. Big distilleries aren't doing a batch distillation. They're doing a column distillation. I, I'm sorry, not a not a batch, a continuous distillation through a, mm-hmm. a, a different type of column. And they don't get as good of a separation on individual products. So what they are forced to do when using the commodity grain or a commodity fruit is to redistill it to get it cleaner. And then redistill it again to remove things like methanol, separate methanol, demethylize it. Mm -hmm. And then to redistill it again to polish it and then finally run it through charcoal. So when they tell you that they've uh, distilled five times, what they're telling you is that it was so crappy that you couldn't drink it until it had been distilled five times. They're not (laughs) telling you that they made it better. They're telling you that they started with something so bad that to get there took them five distillations. That's Mm -hmm amazing marketing that's a good point i never really i never really looked at it that way yeah so so that's an excellent point it's not necessarily inefficient then to spend more money on your product up front potentially because you're spending more on the grain but you're not having to distill it five times which isn't necessarily cheap Mm. as well no when most people come in though and they say um i don't want to taste vodka because why would I spend my calories? Why would I spend my time drinking vodka and say, oh, you might actually enjoy this vodka? That is a gestalt shift. Americans mm-hmm. think that vodka is should just burn and it, you know, drinking straight warm vodka, which is what we do in the tasting room, is basically based on a on a dare. So. Yeah, you should. It should. It should come from the freezer. It's right next mm-hmm. to your Jägermeister, and yeah, that's, that's the only I... way to drink vodka. Yeah, this is quite smooth. It doesn't burn. No, really it's, at it's, all. It's very delicious. Uh, how does the uh, how does the the pale ale recipe? Um, what parts of the of the of the of the wash of the wort, I guess, for lack of a better term, come through in the vodka in the in the in the final product? Does that hey, make sense? Go ahead, Greg. So we get a lot of um, the base for those esters that are going to come in through there. So we get a lot of those fruity notes, and those are going to be some of those esters created by our uh, English ale yeast coming through. Um, probably the most important aspect about our vodka is the residual sugar. So not being a bone-dry pale ale, finishing you know uh, somewhere in the 10-10 range, um, we're basically leaving almost 10% residual sugar on the table at that point which acts as a great vehicle for all those flavors coming through. That's, that's great. Do you, do you drink this just straight? How do you guys drink this? I drink it straight. Yeah. <laughs> what, when I, I usually recommend to customers, um, you know, who, I mean, once they, we, we always taste straight because by law in Washington state distilleries can't make cocktails. Okay. Um, mm. So, so we have to drink them straight. So we're drinking them straight. So when people say, but how would I use it? I always suggest, well, a Moscow Mule is great because in a Moscow Mule, you know, you normally just drink ginger beer and, and lime juice. But now you can get that creaminess and that kind of vanilla note that comes through, mm. and it's really delicious. And then even though I love to drink martinis out of gin, that's because American vodkas are normally so flavorless that why would you drink one? But in this case, a martini out of this, when this is ice cold, it is so viscous, it's amazing. And then oh, yeah. you certainly don't need olive oil. You need lemon twists. You know, that right. helps bring out a little bit more of that fruit. And so it's really mm. good. Okay. Excellent. If uh, I can help you with your soapbox, because 
I actually heard that there's a, a Senate bill in the Washington State Congress that might change that. Potentially. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a bill that almost made it through the House this past year. It's Senate Bill 5549 that got kicked back because of their short, short terms. And what does that do? Or what it'll, it do? it'll change a lot. But one of those things is distilleries will allow, be allowed to have... Uh, cocktails make cocktails. Oh. Yes, I believe. Yeah, if yeah I'm that was our bill. I've, I've helped found the um, Washington Distillers Guild, and we ran that bill. And in uh, uh, this is the second time we've run that bill, and uh, <laughs> every time the the deep pockets of beer distributors are what close us down. Oh, we gee, get oh. we get mothers against drunk drivers behind us believe it or not is a long story of why but we get them behind us we get the restaurant association the hospitality group the liquor and cannabis board we get everybody behind us except for the big distributors who are beer distributors wow well you know i i i'd like to i'd like to think that uh our that's just our democracy in action that's what the people want they know what we want the yeah, companies are people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the distributor companies are people. Man, that's, that's uh, yeah. Hopefully, you guys will get it through. At least you don't have militias going uh, threatening to yeah. shut everything down, like uh, yeah, your neighbors. Yeah. Right. yeah. So uh, you know, you got that going for you. Is it getting further each time? Because you said this isn't the first time. Yep. You yep. Did, yep. It gets it. further every time. It got really close last year. It got super close this year. It passed the House and the Senate, but it wouldn't get called to the vote because the uh, leader of the, the, the chair of the committee that needed to call it to the floor. Uh, refused to. So that's that's so this time we, we we failed, but uh, we'll see what happens next year. So which congressman needs to get voted out for the next <laughs> session? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The interesting thing uh, um, with Derek Stanford is that he actually got promoted, oh. um, and so the good news is he's been removed from that chair position and has got another job. So we will we have a very good chance next year. Awesome. That doesn't mean that's going to be our only um, uh, love, a way of attacking it, but right. sure. we'll work through the legislation. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, hey, let's move on to some gin. Uh, you sent some gin and then some cask-finished new oak gin. Uh, I think we should do those yeah. side by side because we're sort of we're sort of crunching on the hour here. Um, so, tell me a little about this gin here. So this one is where we're going to take that uh, vodka and we're going to use that as the base. So what we're going to do is we're going to add about 115 gallons worth of that to our still, which our still that we're using for gin is actually a miniature Glen Morangy style. So a uh, small pot, really tall neck with a boil ball uh, just above the shoulders of it. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to add about 25 pounds of botanicals to it, around 18 pounds of which are going to be juniper berries, just for context. Um, from there, we're going to let it macerate for about 24 hours and then redistill that the next day. Um, so from there, uh, we're essentially trying to use that pot maceration where we can um, dictate the flavors of the botanicals by using the reflux off of that tall neck to bat down some of the heavier terpenes out of the juniper and create a more aromatic uh, and more uh, like a better flavor tasting vodka rather than one that is piney, resinous, mm-hmm. um, more medicinal. And gin, you mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. by yeah. by miniature, uh, the Glen Morangi stills are not miniature at all. They're, <laughs> they're like 25 feet tall. Yeah. Do you mean miniature that yours is 25 feet tall? It's just maybe a smaller pot? No, or Greg's scale 85 the whole feet thing tall. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, I was, I'll tell you, say 12 feet. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's 450 liters. Oh, okay. um, and 
and you know theirs is probably eight thousand liters. <laughs> um, okay. What what? So you may not know this, but Glen Morangy actually is using um, their design was uh, picked up in eighteen fifty three or eighteen fifty four as a gin still. That's when it became illegal for Scotch distillers to use a still smaller than, I don't know, some number. It was like 4,500 liters. Hmm. And the reason was because bootleggers were using small pot stills and they'd see the revenues come and they'd grab the still, put it in a wagon, be out of there before the revenues could get it. So they said, the still has to be big. And if it's big, then you can't easily move it. And then we can, and anything smaller, if we ever do find it, we can confiscate or destroy. So Glen Morangy had a small still. They went and got a new still quickly. Uh, didn't have time to have one made, so they went down to uh, London and they bought a gin still. They put it into service. It made delicious, fruity, floral, light notes because of that tall stack. And they ended up keeping that design. So now, of mm. course, they're famous for having the tallest whiskey stills in Scotland. Mm. But in fact, there are gin stills that are now whiskey stills. So when we said, uh, so we're talking to Richard Forsyth, uh, the guy who makes uh, made our stills, and we said, you know, we want a traditional gin still. And he's like in this beautiful Scottish accent. I want to, you know, Glenmorangie whiskey still. I'm like, mm-hmm. tell me more. That's he's a, like, well, it's a good accent. That's actually a gin still. So here we are. It's, wow. Are you guys just uh, distilling all the botanicals in the pot with a maceration, yes. or how are you guys uh, infusing yep. those? Yeah. So we're going to put it all into the pot. So we're not using a basket, um, and there's not a reflux column attached to it. Yep. So what's kind of cool about it, you know, terpenes are the things that the lighter ones smell like a forest, the heavy ones taste like a pine cone. The light ones make it through all the way up that long neck, you know, that Linmorgy type of uh, 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 neck stack, and they make it into the condenser. They become part of our gin, but the heaviest terpenes just fall back into the still, and those are the ones that are oily that kind of taste like a pine cone. So our gin is not as resiny as a traditional you know, beef eater, London Dry style, uh, you know, tangeray type of gin. And those are generally made with vapor infusion, not maceration, and what they call a double shot. So they'll make a super strong version of the gin, and then they'll uh, cut it in half with grain neutral spirit. Oh, okay. um, so you actually soak so, the botanicals in the in the vodka. vodka. Yep, oh. Yeah, for a day, 24 hours. So that adds 24 hours to the process. That's okay. kind of dumb. Okay. <laughs> I told you we're bad at that. That's true, then, yeah. Um, we use 25 pounds of botanicals, but if we were doing vapor infusion, we'd probably use seven or eight. So, again, a really bad math problem. So but we you're double dumb. I'm for this really good. And uh, do you guys uh, do the maceration at a higher proof or a lower proof? Because that affects what botanicals you pull out. Yeah, so obviously coming off of the still, uh, originally the vodka is going to be around 190 proof, maybe like 190, closer to 191. Mm -hmm. So we're going to put that down to 100 proof for maceration. um, And from there, uh, we'll be ready for the gin still. Okay. So. 18 and a half pounds of juniper berries, right? Whole juniper berries. We used to get them from Croatia, then Albania, now back to Croatia, and then Albania. Depends on, we like the Mediterranean. I mean, in Italy. Uh, yeah, but then back <laughs> to Croatia again. And then, um, three pounds of coriander seed, Egyptian coriander, pound and a half of lemon peel, half a pound of orange peel, half a pound of cacio bark. Cacio bark's like a cinnamon. Mm. We got quarter pounds of orris root, angelica root, licorice root, kuba berries, or peppercorn out of 
uh, India, and uh, grains of paradise, a little peppercorn out of Morocco. Oh, yeah. And those 10 are uh, the grain bill Jeez. that This at 24 The nose on this gin is so bright. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it smells like there's bay, it smells bay leafy, if that makes sense. Like, like fresh bay leaf to me, to me. Yeah. It brings me back to like Boy Scout camp where we had hmm. bay leaves in Northern California. And you'd, like you challenge everybody to like pull a handful off and smash them up and then sniff them real fast. And oh. then you get a headache and you pass out almost. Um, <laughs> but it, it smells, it smells like uh, like piney bay leaf that sweet kind of bay leaf character that you can kind of get hmm. in a very positive yeah. way with everything else you kind of mentioned, you know, mixed together it to, for me, that's, that's what I'm getting. It's very pleasant and it's very, um, deep, I guess the aromas hmm. are, are, are deep uh, trying to think of other gins I've smelled. It's separate, right? You get the smell and you, you can kind of smell the spirit underneath and it seems very segmented. Mm-hmm. This is just like a, a fat like layer of fog over, you know, the city, right? And it's yeah. all you smell is just the fog. It's just it's just the aromatics coming off of this. Uh, they're amazing. Yeah. But without yeah, the that, heavy um, oils. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. light. One very light and crisp. That, one of the things that helps with that, the lightness and the brightness is coming from the coriander, the second biggest ingredient. When you distill Egyptian coriander, you get kind of a lemon note, a high citrus note. Okay, not, yeah. not what you would think like a, 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 a culinary spice right. flavor. Right, right. And then, right. of course, we have orange and lemon peel in there, and those are North American orange and lemon, not Seville or bitter oranges. Um, so there's another kind of fun ingredient that we talked about just briefly, um, angelica root. Angelica root I think of as the blur filter in Photoshop. Okay. Like hmm. you add that in in right quantities and everything gets an earthiness and a roundness where you can no longer separate the individual aromas or flavors. They become one. And the judicious use of that gives that kind of full on heady smell too much. Wow. And it gets really dirty. It actually starts smelling like um, the duff, like you're out mushroom hunting or something. Oh, like oh, Warren. Over a lot. Yeah, it smells yeah. like Warren. Right. So it's not the gin, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's move on to the to the new oak gin. So we have the new oak gin. I want to do the Amaro. And the Amaro cast. Oh, yeah. Um, can we talk about those at the same time? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll briefly talk, right? You right. Yeah, totally. Uh, so... What we do is we're going to take that small batch of gin. We're then going to age it into what is typically used for uh, bourbon, but this is an unseasoned new American oak cask at a number three char. Uh, we're going to – so uh, gin is going to come off the still at around 155 proof. We're going to bat that down to 106 for our entry proof for the cask, and we're going to put that in there for about 100 days. Um, not really long enough to age it per se, but more to – uh, change the botanical layout, bring back the juniper a little bit, bring forward some of the darker uh, botanicals in that gin. So you're going to get a lot more of the kubeb berries, a lot more of the acacia bark, um, and then you're going to get, obviously, a lot of the new oak character from that. Yeah. So yeah. It's got a bit of color to it. It's it's fairly yeah. golden. Yeah, a little so light it yellow. A color, it picked up some color in just the three months. Yeah, well, of course, a new a, a new char, uh, I'm sorry, a new barrel of a number three char has a lot to offer. You know, a, a whiskey in a new oak barrel will almost be at its darkest color in six months. Wow. But, you know, if you leave it in for three more years, it'll get a little bit darker, but it's significantly um, uh, contributing early. Yeah. Remember that we're entering at 106 um, 
the sugars from the oak as well as the um, color are water soluble over alcohol soluble. So they're also going to get that sooner mm. rather than later with okay. that somewhat lower entry proof than say whiskey yeah. would be. What's interesting about this is is how much of that brightness of the of the gin and the botanicals sort of changed and, and yeah. absent. I guess I don't want to I don't want to say that like it's like it's missing something, but the the oak kind of comes through, or the the botanicals maybe have interacted with the aromatics that you get from the char from the oak and it's you get the um i think that citrus you get the citrus coming yeah. through and it also smells kind of burnt yeah a little burnt. bit of burnt but to me what's coming through it smells like a barrel room yeah, where like like oh, yeah. moist um you know moist uncharred i guess uh just barrels like you're at a, a winery and it's a little bit of hum- humidity but you smell the outside of a new barrel that's kind of mm. what i get and I don't know if it's because of the botanicals and kind of changing everything or not, but it's it's tremendously unique. Yeah, I get this. I get the the char and the aroma more than I do the flavor. And so, in the flavor, to me, I get a little bit of with the 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 oak, the sugars from the wood, kind of reinforcing the citrus. It's almost a little sherberty, like orange. Lemon oh. sherbet. Oh, you mean sherbet? Because there's only one R in it. You absolute numbskull. Sorry, okay. I am the dumbest one in the room. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Honestly, it smells like it smells like cologne. Oh, like yeah. it smells like a cologne. Yeah. And if you if you went to a perf, a, a parfume or whatever, oh. I don't know. I just made that word up. Um, and you made a, a a cologne that matched this smell, I would buy it. It smells. It smells very good. <laughs> There's a bottle here. I could just well, dump it on you. <laughs> Yeah, then I'll get arrested. We also have soap that's uh, made from our spent botanicals, so you're in luck. Damn, yeah, dude. That's true. Oh. Well, look, I, I can't yeah. wait to get up there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure Tops this out. love it, man. We'll send you some down. <laughs> tell them you're, you're baked right. in it. Yeah. Like, no, man, I just, I'm just clean. You can't arrest me for being clean. Officer, <laughs> I just got out of the shower. <laughs> yeah, boy, my arm's tired. <laughs> yeah. And I'm bathing in gin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah. seems to be the problem. Right. So, uh, my grandfather so was gin soaked, and so am I. Why don't we go ahead and 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 pour the collaboration cask uh, number thirty one, which is the the one that was in the Amaro uh, Amarino cask. Yep, we yeah. got that. Yeah, and we'll we'll keep talking a little bit. Uh, just in general. So one of the neat things that a cask does, uh, the new oak, the char inside the barrel pulls out a lot of the juniper oils. So you, you kind of lose some of that pininess that you might expect. The vanillas pop the baking spices. Like you said, you get a lot of the citrus is, is changed a little bit more uh, rounder, I think, uh, sweeter. And I got a lot of cinnamon out of that new oak. Well, in the collaboration cask, what we did is we took some whiskey barrels that we had aged whiskey in for three years. We emptied those, bottled that whiskey, gave two of the barrels to Skip Tanetti, who owns Letterpress Distilling. And he makes an Amaro. He also makes blood orange cellos and all sorts of other delicious Italian-based things. So for those who don't know, an Amaro is a Italian bitter liqueur. You can make them in other parts of the world. Jägermeister is a famous one. Um, mm. uh, Campari is a famous one. Okay. Uh, uh, Frenet is a famous one. Oh, yeah. So, Amaro's is 500 Amaro's out there, probably. They can be from super bitter to super dry, but they always are both bitter and sweet to some degree. So, he makes one. He put that Amaro in those used whiskey casks for six months. He aged that, bottled that, gave us back the barrels. We took those barrels, and in one of them, 
we put a gin, not a oak age gin, but just mm-hmm. a regular gin, just like okay. Greg had said, at 106 proof. But instead of leaving it in for three and a half months, we left it in close to seven. Okay. And uh, again, we bottled it at 100 proof. And uh, boy, did it ever pick up some really cool flavors <laughs> yeah. out of that. Yeah. Man, I, I, I took a sip while you guys were, uh, while you guys were chatting, and um, I, I was like, chewing the aromatics in my mouth it was there was so much to it that it was i was like eating eating air it was it's remarkable i still haven't even really fully processed everything that i'm tasting because it is you know a hot i guess or or spicy maybe uh maybe maybe the same thing um definitely orange like darker orange uh peel kind of flavors Mm -hmm. coming through not a ton of the gin i guess but maybe that's the Hot flavors, and I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to figure out. I'm, I, yeah. I, I could probably, I would need 10 minutes with this <laughs> to figure out what, what the hell I'm even tasting. I've never, I don't think I've ever had anything that tasted like this. Never, but never. I, I could definitely drink probably this entire bottle yeah. be, and happily always just trying to figure this thing out yes. because I get like. It's a puzzle with no solution, Warren. It, it's a gin for sure, but there, there's, I keep coming back to a very strong vanilla bean kind of Ooh, character. like a vanilla pod. Yes, the pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, the yeah. actual pod itself. Wow, look at yeah. us. We're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. No, in fact, there is a vanilla pod involved in the Amaro. Oh. I told you. And, told you, Jason. <laughs> yep. See? You guys are the you smartest did. guys in the room again. Yeah, yeah. and I uh, agreed with you. <laughs> I don't know if you also pick up uh, kind of a, you know, like when you inhale, it's kind of cool menthol or minty note, but mm-hmm. we pick up a lot of that kind of um, almost camphor sort of thing. And I personally get sort of a root beerish sarsaparilla only yeah. on the back note. It's not, it's not root beery at all. No. But if I think about that sarsaparilla, yeah, I, I I'm kind of like, sure. oh, yeah, that, that earthiness that you get in a true root beer. Yeah. Anyway, that's good stuff. Jeez. This yeah. is the 20th experiment we've done in which we've taken gin and put it in some crazy cask, uh, you know, rum, port, mezcal, cognac, Calvados, Oloroso, and Pedro Mini Sherry, IPA, Sauvignon um, Blanc, Sauvignon tonic. Blanc, tonic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really <laughs> goes on and on. And this is part of the fun. You can't be too, uh, uh, um, what would be the right word? You can't expect these things to be around because we'll only make about one one cask, two hundred and fifty bottles or so. And then we're done. And yeah, we yeah. move to the next mm-hmm. idea. So think of it as a cast condition beer that you might get at a pub and once mm-hmm. it's gone, it's gone forever. Um, You're not going to revisit any of them if you if you like them? Oh, yeah. If we like it, we'll try it again. But oh. probably just one more barrel the next year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe, right. maybe. Or we may never get to it. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I guess if if your uh, if your if your drive to experiment kind of trumps the uh, the drive to revisit, I could see you just kind of forget about stuff, or at least put on the back burner and wait another ten years. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, and also some of it is um, an opportunistic. If if there happens to be a good rum barrel available, then maybe that's what we'll use. Mm-hmm. But we've sure. been able to learn a lot about barrel finishes that we can then use the idea for our whiskeys. We haven't done much in whiskeys yet, although you will see that we have this one that has the Amaro cast. The only other whiskey finish we've done has been a more traditional Oloroso sherry. Okay. But, but we got some other good ones uh, in the works. 
Nice. Wow. I, I, I can only imagine. Speaking of whiskeys, I have your two We've whiskey two samples here. in the glass right here. American Let's single malt whiskeys. So we've got released 17 and 21. 17 and 21, and... Start with 20. Start with 21. Start with 21, okay. Which is the last one, then. Is the last one? Yeah. Okay. You sure? Yes. It's 21 with the Amaro cask? No. Okay. We just got the two... Okay, got it. I just put them in numerical order. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh, So this one, is this one with the pale malt or five malt? I'm looking at your spec sheet now, and... And you have two different recipes. Which yeah, one are yes. we? Yes, and yes. Okay. okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> Consult the last page, and you'll see they get blended together. Oh, damn. Okay. So <laughs> where are you guys brewing this beer for these? These are the Elysians. Yeah, they? these ones were yes. all going to be Elysian. So okay. what we have, this is the first time we've ever used three separate recipes together into a single whiskey release. Normally... We're two, sometimes we're one, but this one was special with being three. And what those three recipes are is that we're using pale malt, uh, which is going to be Northwest Pale, uh, five malt, which is going to be that strong scotch ale recipe that was uh, that Jason developed. And then we also are using Alba, which is a special variety of barley grown in northern Washington in the Skagit Valley. It's actually going to be grown there and malted there as well. Um, So we're going to blend that across... Nine casts of brand new American oak uh, at a number two char for 34 months uh, that comes out of the bottle at 100 proof. Yeah, the youngest barrel was 34, the oldest is 42. That was nine nine casks involved. And, you know, in, in case uh, the listeners were, were thinking that, oh, you know, it's cute that you guys, that they gave you, you know, a spec sheet. No, this is, they have the, the malt bill, which is uh, 4,000 pounds of Great Western. Uh, two row pale, 605 pounds of caramel, a special B, there's biscuit, there's melanoidin in there, they have the brewery there, uh, 1,743 gallons in the fermentation, the original gravity is 1075, terminal is 1014, fermented 10 days at 68 degrees, final, uh, or the ABV at the end of fermentation is 8.47, cold uh, conditioned 38 days, that's a ton of information, just mm-hmm. even right there. And, and it's not like we're special. You guys release that about every whiskey release, right? Yeah. Well, they're yeah. not mutually and, exclusive, Warren. Oh, we can be special We can also? be special, and they can release this oh, okay. to everybody. Yeah. 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 We always release it to you first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Haven't see. you been getting our emails? <laughs> <laughs> so what's fun about that is uh, you can play along at home. And yeah. uh, oh. in fact... Some of the people that we've interviewed for for work here um, came to us because they saw those spec sheets and said, "I want to work for a company that's transparent." Oh wow! So that's you know. That's, um, Can you? Yeah, and it's something that's like we take from being brewers, where these are things and details that we would care about in a beer, and so we think they're just as important to bring them forth in for the sure. as well. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Do you guys ever have the beer? Uh, do you ever take the recipe and make an actual beer with it and hop it and ferment it and? drink it side by side yeah we've we've we don't regularly do that but uh we have done that uh, and as how you is can it? imagine the days are pretty filled and since we work with three brewing partners the pike place the uh, lesion and fremont brewing we actually are not um short of beer here <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of of uh, great, delicious beers on a weekly basis from one of those plants. <laughs> so you so don't, we don't tend to do that, but we have done it a couple of times. You don't need to make your own. Yeah, <laughs> we, we may someday again okay. do that when okay. when we grow to the point where 
Uh, we always will be doing, I hope always will be doing uh, partnerships with breweries. We never want to stop that. But as we grow, right now we're only selling in Washington State and then just barely starting to expand outside of the state in tiny markets. But as we start moving to other states, we're going to need to make more, and we may be able, um, we may be pushing against the capabilities of those breweries. So we'll probably have to build our own brewery. And when we do that, why not oh. make a beer? Gee, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, you guys do so much creative distillation and creative aging and, and blending and all that. How do you manage growth? How do you plan? To, to continue this, like you said, in your own words, it's a stupid way <laughs> to make spirits because you don't you, you know you could you could be more profitable if you had better yields and you could do all this kind of stuff, but you're not you're chasing the, the good spirit. So how do you manage that growth versus quality? Well, uh, through two different ways. One is making sure that we're always focused on the quality because that's what people are going to come back with a second and third bottle for. Yeah. And so as we, as we grow into that, we believe, and it is um, turning out to be true, that people will return and buy more. This is the next yeah. thing is uh, there's a lot of exit strategies for big company, for small companies in which generally they exit to a big company. And that's not our exit. Uh, right now, what we're getting ready for is our first A-series, where we're really going to be inviting our customers to become small shareholders. Oh. And what we're really excited about is those are the people who want us to grow. They want this to succeed. Yeah. They're not just looking for a return on investment. They are looking for that, but they're also really into this vision. And so we're going to be doing that in August and uh, I'm really excited about not, you know, taking the the, uh, the exit that's going to put the quality at jeopardy at this point. Hmm. And so, it just it, what is that going to facilitate? Is it going to mean another facility with with more stills? Yeah, yeah that'll be the the, the long goal. Um, uh, first thing we're doing right now is moving towards more and more non commodity grains. So we're at 93% Washington grown, but of that Washington grown, a, a fair amount of it is what you would call commodity, meaning you you um, don't know which farm it came from. It is purchased by uh, the, the Great Western Malting, in this case, um, to hit specifications like proteins and free amino nitrogens, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And so when they make a, uh, a product for us, it hits all the specs. We don't know what farms, what state, what um, season it came from. And we're moving to single farms, single varieties, single vintage so that we can actually support the Washington grain shed a lot better. Again, stupid move. Cost us about three times the amount in malt, two to three times the amount. <laughs> but we're able to make flavors that are freaking incredible. And you can't do it if you're buying a commodity malt. Right, so, right. So that sort of thing is our concentration now next year uh, and the year after. So the next year we're going to be thinking a lot and planning a lot for a new plant and hopefully the year after uh, building. Wow. Okay. That's exciting stuff. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, if you don't have a backhoe in your front yard, you probably <laughs> are doing something wrong. you got to be moving fast. Yeah. And do you have an idea of where that would be? Because I've I've been lucky enough to visit the distillery that you currently have, and it doesn't look like there's much room to 
necessarily expand right next yeah, door. Yeah, we don't want to um, – no, great point. We don't want to close this um, facility down at all. This one we want to be doing just what we're doing now, vodka, gin, and whiskey with all the connections with the local breweries here in Seattle doing all the cool barrel programs and everything and continue to be here on the waterfront. Um, we're looking right now in Tacoma. There's a really, which is, you know, an hour south of um, Seattle. Mm-hmm. And there's really great beer scenes down there with bigger opportunities for square footage that we could get, um, you know, at a, at a price not uh, the same as the Seattle waterfront price. Sure. And so that means we <laughs> could your barrels uh, don't actually appreciate the view. have our own brewery. And have our own distillery. Uh, oh, wow, that's exciting! There, and then have another one up here without a brewery. And if we ever needed to, we could even truck the sweet wort or even finish beer since we own both plants. We can do that. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of options. It's going to be a lot of fun. Damn, I nice. like that. Uh, let's get hit, hit this uh, last uh, whiskey. What is the release? Seventeen, I think, is the last one we have. Yes. Yep. All right. And just. Uh, Real briefly, you probably noticed on 21 just a huge amount of uh, fruit and sweetness. Oh, yeah. uh, that Alba malt really brought in a lot of sweetness. That uh, five malt recipe, which is kind of based on the Kiltlifter recipe I made up at um, the Pike Place Brewery. Oh. Um, that is really got a lot of caramel malts and crystal malts in it. So the 17 is the same idea as the gin was, except it was in um, – it's whiskey instead of gin in that Amaro cast. Oh, really? Okay. All right. That was going to... Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you know, because I, I, I tasted it. I was like, what is what is that flavor? <laughs> There's something familiar about it, but unknown at the like same time. I had time. gin just the other day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Interesting. That is super interesting. It, it, it's almost uh, more orangey, like uh, candied orange. Yeah, no good call. Right? Yeah, good call. Like, it, you know, that kind of just comes through and gets cemented in there, and it's just kind of this, this mid-palate, mm-hmm. candied orange thing. I mean, some would say... That's some, crazy. ...that people tasted it in the gin also, but, yep. you know... <laughs> some people... But now you taste it in the whiskey. Well, you know, hey, man. <laughs> uh, this is d- the first time we ever released two products side-by-side of the same barrel treatment, the barrel finish treatment, and okay. that was part of the fun. We have a little club we call First Cut, so it gives okay. people who are really interested in Copperworks uh, products a uh, seven-day lead time to get, you know, products mm. like this. That's and neat. one of the things that people were like asking in advance is, "Would you guys do a barrel finish of whiskey?" And we're like, "Yeah, let's do that. Let's do a, a gin and a whiskey together." Yeah. And so that's that's really interesting. that's super interesting. Yeah, how are people uh, how are people receiving that? You seem to enjoy it. You, okay. you either, like a lot of things, it's divisive, right? You either right. love it and you just can't freaking <laughs> believe that you're drinking this, or you're like, yeah, but that's not really for me. Right. <laughs> I yeah. think I'll go back to the regular whiskey yeah, or the regular chin. Some stuff, mm-hmm. is, it's, cool to, it's cool to try, but, you know, yep. yeah, where's my ice-cold vodka? No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very interesting stuff. I don't even know. Again, just like with the other one, I, I, would, need, I would need an extra 10 minutes just to sit here and go, okay, and gather my thoughts because there's a lot going on. It's, it's already changing. I mean, we've had it open since before the um, – before the show started, Warren poured all these. Um, but even just as I'm smelling it and sort of you know making mental checks on on the aromas, mm-hmm. they're changing. There's a little yeah. licorice coming through now. Yeah, yeah. and and I, there's yeah. no way I would guess they were the same 
like base whiskey that, no. that this was 21 just finished not at all yeah well, yeah. yeah so it's it's partially like so um what separates it uh, mostly from 21 is that uh, this one's while well, 21 was those three recipes of uh pale then alba and the five malt recipe this one is going to be just our northwest pale recipe oh um, okay so uh it's actually hmm. a less uh it's not quite as complex as the 21 as the base whiskey but <laughs> that Amaro cast finish really like puts it over the top. And <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Warren. The thing that is similar on these two is not, uh, the, the thing that is similar between the gin and this whiskey. So the gin with the Amaro oh, cast yeah. mm-hmm. whiskey with Amaro cast is the Amaro cast. We're uh, both from skip same day, same okay. concept. Come on. Warren. Sorry. The yeah. whiskey is a little different. The Amaro cast is like the Iron Man suit. Mm. <laughs> wow. With the whiskey, is, I love that. Is, is Tony Stark because, like, you know, he's smooth and whatever, but you put that Iron Man suit on him and get out of his way, <laughs> and that's basically what this is. Yeah, he's gonna save the day. Just hold on. I'm gonna see if 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 after I've not been drinking for a while, if I still like that analogy, I'm gonna use it. Please do. Yeah. I get ten percent off all your profits from that using that analogy. Or one of these bottles. Yeah, Yeah, tip me out. That's right. Every week I need I need partial tip. Boys, these are great spirits. I I I don't get to Seattle often, but when I do next time, I'm coming up to to visit you guys. This is good stuff. I really appreciate it. (laughs) And so, well, it's fun sharing this with you guys. I really appreciate um, having this opportunity. Are all of these currently available at the distillery? Yep, they're all on sale right now. Okay, awesome. Where? A lot of them are. Uh, we ship to 37 states, so you'll find online oh. we actually ship a lot of these um, out. The only way to get these Amaro cast finished products, we sell them out of the tasting room. So only, you either can buy it. them physically here or online, but you can't get those in grocery stores, liquor stores, bars, or restaurants. Okay. Okay. So if we just- other products are in about four or five hundred. Okay, so we just go to your site, copperworksdistilling.com, and that should tell us where to find everything uh, in the 37 states or figure it out online? That's right. Is California one of those? 37? Oh, yeah. Okay. Great. I hope so, man. Yeah. If someone had uh, whiskey from uh, batch 12, would the the information, the stats that we got be available on your website currently for older batches? Yep. Every batch is up there. Okay. Yep. So what you wow. do is you go to under on the website you'll go to spirits, whiskey, past releases, and okay. it'll tell you the tasting notes and, and uh, overall production notes of every release we've done. And then there it'll say spec sheet. You click on the spec sheet and it'll download a you know three to nine page PDF. Okay. Jeez. Great. Yeah. It's it's detailed, guys. So yeah. I'm telling you, it's cool. Yeah. The low wines and I mean it's just it's so amazing. I I really appreciate that. I, I don't know why I'm like really focusing on all of the information because oh, i don't know because I, I don't understand half of it but i like <laughs> the ability to try to understand it you want to have stared at the information yeah and, and then to tell people i looked at it all it's pretty cool yeah yeah <laughs> right. all right jason and greg from Copperworks distilling seattle washington 2018 distillery of the year yes Folks, thank you guys check these spirits out they're amazing it's amazing stuff uh thank you very much for taking the time i really appreciate it. we kept you a little bit longer than i promised but uh you know it was hard hey, to let but you we go. we were drinking. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Thanks, That's Thanks right. Warren. It was yeah. really fun. Uh, all you. right, guys. Take it easy. We'll yeah, talk to you later. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
It really was good. I mean, yes. it's, it's some good stuff. I'm, we, I know we, we kind of say that a lot, but either we're lucky or we're fools or this is just really good or all three. Or both, yeah. Yeah, because it, it's this is unique stuff. And that's really why I, I like doing the show. Yeah. Is you get to figure out what people in the craft industry are actually doing and the boundaries that they're pushing. It is sort of the next frontier in, in creativity. I mean, beer, yeah. we've killed beer. <laughs> Hazy IP has just destroyed it beer. It was good. We drank some, and then we ruined it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever had specific, specifically Amaro. I don't think I have either. But I've I had mean, Jägermeister and a couple of the other ones he mentioned. Yeah, part, yeah, yeah. But not this. No, and, it, and it makes me kind of want to go out and get a bottle of that. And just start working on, like, weird, obscure Italian spirits? Yeah. All right. <laughs> More for me? Yeah. I mean, I've had Fernet, which is... Didn't he... Okay. So what was he saying? He, he listed Fernet, yeah. He was saying, uh, are they Amaros or are they Amarinos? Like, is Amaro the... Oh, is there a difference? Well, he said... So know. this was a, in, in a cask of uh, Amaro and Marino, but I think Amaros are, like, the genus, I guess, or whatever. Oh. So Fernet, Jägermeister, those are Amaros. But this is a... Amarino is a specific type of Amaro. Maybe. I'm shrugging right now. Shrugs. Shrug Maybe we emoji. should call into a podcast and ask them to do a <laughs> yeah. show on this stuff. Right. Maybe we should, you know, let's just call Jason and Greg back. Yeah. Can you guys please talk to us about the, the thing? Yeah. Anyway, thanks a lot, everybody, for sticking with us here and hanging out on Heads and Tails. If you like more of this weird radio that we do on the Brewing Network, go to thebrewingnetwork.com or... Wait, why is my intro not playing? Why did my outro just stop, Warren? It was on a, I was on a roll and everything. Oh, okay. There we go. Well, you could give us uh, feedback on Instagram. There you not go. Instagram, iTunes. Well, you can give us feedback one. on Instagram, too, sure. if you want. Yeah. You can write into feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com. But more importantly, go to wherever you get your podcast and look up The Brewing Network, and all of our shows are going to be there. And yeah. just subscribe to all of them. That might would be as well. great. You what might, else do you have to do? You might specifically that. Exactly <laughs> that. Uh, we're also on social media, not specifically this show, but just The Brewing Network in general, so you can right. follow us along. And uh, Warren and I, are, uh, I don't know. We're just going to hang out here in the studio and, and potentially just drink the rest of this stuff. But we'll Likely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then our next show is going to be the Warren Extravaganza Recap, where hopefully Warren's going to dip into his illegally obtained spirit <laughs> to, uh, to let us sample a little bit and tell us what's going on in the world of Scottish distilling, what he learned from it. Oh, I'm yeah. looking at you, but I'm talking about you in the third person, yeah. so it's just weird. It's great to hear what I learned yeah, and everything right. that I did over there. So that'll be a good time, and, uh, you know, like that. Yeah, I'll only bring the legal stuff. Okay, please do. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. All right, everybody, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.